Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. We're about to start a new collection of conversations that's called Royalty Checks. Royalty Checks. We're going to spend this month teaching you how to take your rightful position in handling God's money. Did you hear me what I say? It's not yours. We are going to learn what the Bible says about how God has set a, because God has a standard for everything. We love going to the Bible to figure out what it says about praying. We love to go to the Bible to figure out what it says about my gifts. We love to go to the Bible to figure out what it says about faith, but none of us seem to have a fancy for going to the Bible for personal finance wisdom. But it's in there. And as good sons and daughters, just like with every other area of our life, we should be seeking the Spirit of God to help us in this specific area as well. Thank you for my two amens. This is, the, this, is, this is the second most thing I'm anointed to do. The first one is to unlock people's purpose. The second is to walk people out of financial bondage into financial freedom. I'm just telling you up front, this ain't no random series. This is what God has anointed my wife and I to do. It's what we've been doing for the last decade, helping people around the world move from financial bondage to financial freedom. But he first started in us. I want to be real clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who love the Lord. So if you're not in the financial position that you would like to be, there's no shame. I was once so broke that I couldn't pay attention. I feel you. And I had a job. I had a career. I had a deposit on the 1st and the 15th, but I had no money because I had no idea what I was doing. Some of us are super degreed. Some of us are the person on our jobs that other people come to to gain wisdom and knowledge. But then when we get to our money, we're terrible because nobody ever taught us. We just showed up in adulthood with degrees and certifications and just started going. And some of us ended up in a very precarious situation. Here's what you got to know. I just got clearance from the Holy Spirit to tell you. (laughs) We was once brickety broke. When we got married, slow down, I was about to tell him. She got, the first person got offended was my wife. That's crazy. That's crazy. But we're a real couple. I mean, she got offended quick. I didn't even get through half the point. We became one 17 years ago. And we started our marriage in over $30,000 of debt. And the reason she said, no, you was broke was because all the debt was mine. 
Are we good? Are we good? Okay. Wouldn't even let me get it out. You was broke. I already told them that. But we started our marriage off in over $30,000 of debt. And by God's grace, he walked us through a journey through the scriptures that we then applied to our lives that moved us from over $30,000 of debt to debt-free. And then we moved from a negative $30,000 net worth to a seven-figure net worth through the Bible. Listen, we have never, and still don't, we have never had a six-figure salary. The majority of the journey, we only had one salary, and I was a teacher. Come on, where my teacher's at? Ain't none of of y'all balling, right? I mean, we the most underpaid. Sorry, I got flashbacks. But I'm telling you that I'm telling you these details. I'm giving you transparency so that the devil don't lie to you and tell you that you can't. I just heard him lie to some of y'all still. And I'm telling you, it's not because we're special that this happened. It's because we were obedient that this happened. So you don't have to be special. You just have to be obedient for this to happen. All we did was research what the Bible says about money, and we obeyed it. And every last part of the journey, hear me, was hard. I know we love to think that Jesus died to make our life easy. That's not true. What he told you was to pick up your cross daily. I don't know if you know know what the cross represents, but it represents a sacrifice. Daily. And that's how we got there. Now, people, they they know about our company, his and her money, and people, the first thing they want to know is, yo, how can I invest? How can I build wealth? That's like trying to build a house by building the roof first. It doesn't work that way. And because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we have a standard that God has set forth that the moment we say, Lord, we surrender and that you are our king, our Lord, our savior, our master, we opt into his playbook. Hello. As a believer in every area of your life, to include your finances, we are to come to him for wisdom. Because there is no higher wisdom than the spirit of God. You can't find better wisdom on Wall Street. You can't find better wisdom in Washington, D.C., I don't care how many of the CNBC shows that you watch. Their wisdom is inferior, inferior to the wisdom of the Spirit of God. 
We have access to his spirit. And not only that, here's the great news. We have access to his word, which every last jot and tittle in this Bible was written by the inspiration of the spirit of God. So therefore, what does the Bible say? That's the point of this series. And this series is rooted in three scriptures, Proverbs 3 and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, all of them, including your money, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Some of y'all financial paths is crooked, broken, and you need him to make it straight. Well, you need to acknowledge him with your money. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 also says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Did you know that? Did you know that? He wants you to honor him with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Did you know that? Did you know that? He wants the first part. Then, you got to do the first two. And then, you have to do the first two. And then, your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with vine. You want to go straight to the investing. You want to go straight to the debt freedom. Well, he said, first, first, honor me. First, bring me the first parts of all that you have. First, first, and then. Learn to your neighbor and say, and then. You can't get to the and then before the honor and the first. So all month long, we're going to position ourselves to take our rightful seat in the handling of whose money? Whose money? It's not ours. That's the first mindset we had to adopt. It's all his. You ain't that great. He put you in that position. He helped you get that degree. He helped you get that certification. He helped you get that job. It's his. All right, I'm up to 17 claps, baby. I'm getting there. Today's message is a tough one, and it's called God over money. God over money. How did we move from position A to position B? We put God over our money. We started making decisions based on God's instruction, even when it didn't make mathematical sense. When we put God over our money, when we made decisions, Led by God, instead of led by dollars and cents, everything changed for us. So since this is, this is tough, right, we're talking about how to put God over our money. How to put God first in our money. So therefore, this is going to be offensive to you. No matter how saved you are or pretend to be, it's going to be a tough word. And I want you to know up front that I love you before you get mad at me. I just want you to know we love you, okay? We're going to be talking about, before I tell you, inhale. <laughs> <laughs> 
exhale. Tithes and offering. Close the doors. Guard the doors. Don't let nobody out, Marvin. Don't start checking your watch now. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I want to give you this before we get through the whole, the, whole, the whole series. Just because certain people created bad theology around money doesn't mean that we should stop talking about money. In other words, we don't replace bad doctrine with silence. We replace bad doctrine with sound doctrine. So we have to have the conversation. I'll get back there. Before we get into the, the theology, I want to give you a few myths that are in the hearts of many when it comes to money and the church. Myth number one is the church just wants your money. How many have heard that? How many have said, said never mind, you ain't going to admit it. The church just wants your money. The church just wants my money. It's ironic that the only place that people say that about is the church. Nobody walks into Target and be like, oh, they just want my money. No, you jokers are lined outside the door for a Stanley Cup at Target. Can't wait to give them your money. I don't even know what a Stanley Cup is. I just saw it and I just looked. I was like, I thought, I didn't know if they were talking about hockey or what was going on. But it, apparently there's a special cup at Target that people are lined up outside the door. So none of us walk through the aisles of Target like, these people just want my money. Of course they want your money. They're a business and they have to profit. None of us sit through them long drive-through lines at Chick-fil-A. And say, I know this is Jesus' chicken, but they just want my money. No, you want them nuggets. Oh, but come Sunday morning. When we walk through the house of the Lord. And we get to, guys, it's time to give it to the house of the Lord. They're like, mm. All these churches want your money. It's a trick of the enemy. How come that thought is only activated in, in the house of the Lord? Huh? Because it's a trick of the enemy. Let me be real clear. The Lord's been building his church for 2,000 years. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't come back, he's going to build it for another 2,000 more until he does come back. With, hello, or Hello, without you. He don't need your money to do what he's going to do. But you need his provision to do what you are supposed to do. So turn that myth off in your brain. The Lord, I promise you, I promise you, everything that the Lord showed me and my wife about what's going to happen here is going to happen. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. The church does not want your, 
Myth two, baby, baby, this is myth two. You ready? The pastor just wants your money. Come on. Y'all talking about me? <laughs> you know them pastors? They just want to line their pockets. They just pimps in the pulpit. Do me a favor, do me a favor. In the balcony, down here, everybody, 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 everybody make a, like this. Come on, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. That's how much I make from this church. Zero. Okay, okay. Let me, let me help you. Everybody do it one more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. Come on, put it up, 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 put it up. This is how much Pastor Ty makes from this church. Zero. I'm the hardest working volunteer in this thing. I don't want your money. Because God is my provider. Now at some point, at some point, we'll be on. Make a salary. But we didn't come here for your money. If it was about money, we would have said no. I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit if it was about money. You'll get it later. I'm here because I was sent here. Did I make the light go out? I'm sorry. Did I just break the light? We came because we were sent by God. I'll try not to break no more lights. We don't, we don't show up. We don't work 60 hours a week for your money. We do it because God sent us. We prosper. I'm going to remind you the principle one more time, not because we are special, we prosper because we are obedient. So when God said, go, listen, can I be, I tried to tell God, no. I pulled out a calculator and said, Lord, the math ain't mathing. And God kept telling us to go. So we came, and we didn't come here for money. We came here because he sent us. Myth number three, the church shouldn't talk about money. Here's the big problem with that thought. The Bible talks about money. This is a Bible-believing church. And if the Bible talks about money, why would the preacher not talk about money? Why would y'all want me to skip all those passages of Scripture about money? You don't believe me. Do you know that two-thirds of Jesus' parables, Jesus, Yahweh, 
is about money. So if Jesus wasn't silent about money, why do you want me to be silent about money? One out of ten verses in the Gospels, money. So why would we be silent about money if the Bible has so much to say about money? Over 2,300 verses. Over 2,300 verses from Genesis to Revelation, instructions to us about our money. Why can't we talk about money in church? If you put the scriptures about faith and prayer together, you would have to multiply them by five to match the amount of verses about money in your Bible. Why would we be silent about money in church? We can't be silent. Billy Graham says it like this. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area in their life. Because it's a heart issue. That's why y'all so tight in here right now. I done told you I don't want your money, and you still think I want your money. I see you. The lights work real good in here. The great reformer Martin Luther says it like this. There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of your purse. They all got to be converted because they all are warped. Here's the last myth. Tithing was an Old Testament law that no longer applies. Who heard that before? That's wrong. The tithe was before the law, the tithe was during the law, and the tithe was after the law. So therefore, it's not bound by law. Matter of fact, it's not even a law. It's a principle. <laughs> First time we see a tithe is with Cain and Abel. Why do you think one was received and the other was not? Because one brought the first and the best. And one bought what was left. One was received and one was not. This is before the law. We see it again. After Abram came back, Abram came back from war, he ran into the high priest uh, Melchizedek. And what did he do? He gave him a tithe of all that he had. There's still no law. We see it again with Jacob. He gave 10% of all that he had before the law. So stop it. It ain't about that. Can I give you one more thing? And I might be jumping ahead, but you need to know that Jesus endorsed the law. Excuse me, Jesus endorsed the tithe. Jesus endorsed the tithe. He was talking to a group of Pharisees. He didn't really like them. Dang it along. And he was rebuking them like he does so often. And he said, man, you tithe on this. You tithe on that. 
and you tithe on that. But you forsake justice and mercy. And people stop reading like, see, he rebuked them. He said that, he, that they should focus on justice, love, and mercy. But then he continued in that same verse and said that you should tithe. Say so you should do it. You should tithe. You just don't do it at the expense of these. Now, if the tithe needed to end in Jesus' day, he would have ended it. Okay. Can you recall there were so many times where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he would say, you say, but I say. What was he doing? Undoing a law. You say, because what they were saying was based on the law that they were taught. But he was teaching them that I have come to fulfill that and end it. But when it came to this moment right here, he could have told them, you be tithing, but that tithe don't mean nothing because I have come to fulfill it. But he didn't. He said, you should tithe. You and you and you and me should tithe. The tithe predated the law. So therefore, it's not tied to the law. And therefore, it is not a law. It is a principle. Romans eleven sixteen says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. What comes first? Roots or branches? I couldn't hear everybody. That was like, the, that was a layup right there. That was a layup. Come on, class. What comes first? Roots or branches? Okay. So if the root is holy, the first part, the thing that comes first, then so are the branches. What is the message that the Apostle Paul is trying to get to us. This is the principle of first fruits. He's saying if you consecrate the first part, the rest is blessed as well. If the root is holy, the word holy means set apart. If the root is holy, then the branches become holy. Our foundational text is telling us the principle that is the foundation of our journey to financial freedom. If you are a kingdom citizen, you don't start with the roof. You start with the foundation. And the, fine, and the foundation of biblical financial freedom is giving. Why? Because it's a direct correlation to your heart. It's a direct correlation 
to what you believe about God, about one of the most sensitive parts of your life. That's your money. Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The problem is we're not seeking the kingdom of God first. We're seeking the kingdom of God when we get to it. Because we don't understand how God functions. We have to understand how God operates so that we can understand and have a better clarity about how he operates with us financially. God runs the universe by an established order that he himself set in place. Nobody but God. He has established a specific order in the universe, and we are all subject to it. I'm going to remind you of the verse we talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. He's not a God of disorder. Everything has a place. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a function. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40 follows up by saying everything, everything, say everything, is done in decency and is done decently and in order. You need to know that God is committed to his principles. So much so that he doesn't wait for you to understand the principle for the principle to be enacted. The principle is in operation whether you realize it, whether you recognize it, or whether you rely on it. It doesn't negate the fact that the principle is already in motion. Can I give you an example? Genesis 3 and 21. This is where you find the story of Adam and Eve. They have made the erroneous decision to eat the fruit. Then they hid. Then God shows up. Adam, where are you? Adam blames the woman. The woman blames the snake. What's done has been done. And then we come and we find out God's response to their sin. It says, that the Lord made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. I'm going to read it one more time. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. What you just witnessed, and you don't realize it, is they were held accountable to a principle that they didn't even know about. There was a principle already in operation before sin that was created for sin. And they had not been educated on what the principle was. The principle is the life of the flesh is in the blood. The principle is there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. They were held to a principle that they weren't taught because principles are not dependent upon our participation. God is not a God of disorder. 
He has established things that are in motion, whether we realize it, whether we recognize it, or whether we rely on it, they are already moving. He didn't even reveal the principle until the book of Leviticus. But they were held accountable to it in Genesis. Leviticus 17 and 11 says, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives. Since it is the lifeblood, it is the blood, there must be shedding of blood to make atonement. These principles are in operation whether you recognize it, whether you realize it, or whether you rely on it. And the principle is solidified in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9 and 22, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Adam and Eve sinned, and God enacted the principle that was already in motion. That's why he killed the animals, shed the blood, and clothed them in the skins of the animal to atone for their sin. Adam and Eve were held to that standard even though they were not educated on the principle. The principle doesn't need our participation to be in motion. Stay with me, please. There are scriptural principles associating with giving, which if followed would release the blessing of God on both you and your family's resources. The spiritual principle that governs the tithe and the spiritual principle that governs giving are not the same. Hear me. Tithes and offering are different. I know we said out our mouth together, but they are different. The word tithe literally means tenth. But let me tell you about the word principle. And I think it's important that you understand what a principle is and where it comes from. The term principle comes from a Latin word that means the beginning place or that which something else is initiated. It's a consistent, systematic rule of order that is all-inclusive to the basics of life. Can I, can I tell you something that, that maybe you haven't been told before? Some of these principles don't even require salvation. They're universal. That means you have access to it if you are a believer or if you are not. I'm going to show you in just a second. So I told you what a principle is. Here's what a scriptural principle is. It's a timeless, unchangeable truth. Timeless and unchangeable truth that operates in the earth whether or not 
it is acknowledged. So where do we get the principle? Where can we see an example of the principle of the tithe? We can see it in Malachi, third chapter, 10th verse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So let's talk about it. The tithe means 10th. He said, bring the full tithe. Where? The storehouse. Back in this time, they had actual storehouses for the crops that they would store up to keep in times of plenty and in times of famine. But today, the storehouse is the house of the Lord, your church. That there may be food in my house. Now, sometimes that looks like literal food where we feed people. But sometimes that's programming. Sometimes that's being us as a church, since we are in the year of the open door, being able to open up the doors of the church to give community members access to do the different things that they need to do. That's why you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that we can send people out to different parts of this city, so that we can partner with other organizations that do work throughout the nation, so that we can partner with other organizations that do work overseas, advancing the kingdom of God. That's the food that they're referring to in modern days applications. And thereby put me to the test. There's no other instance. There's no other instance where God tells you to put him to the test. This is the only time he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. Can I help you real quick, real quick, real quick? Giving your tithes and paying your offerings does not mean you're going to be rich. When you hear him say, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, sometimes the blessing is that you finally have the payment on the third notice. Okay. The problem, we, 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 we take this verse, we take this concept, we take the principle, and we try to make it Americanized. We try to say, if I consistently return my tithe, if I consistently give an offering, that means I'm going to be balling. Can I help you? I've never not given my tithe. My, my parents taught me as a kid, cutting grass, shoveling snow. Then when I got a job, send the tithe. Guys, guys, I wasn't even in church in my, in, in, in my late teens, early 20s. I still sent I gave it to my, my, my parents so they could put it in church. Because they drilled it in me so much. But guess what? That ain't stopped me from being broke. I was broke because of my decisions. So just because you send your tithes to the church, you still can't spend all your money crazy and be like, God, what you doing? You told me to test you. That's not how this works. But what it does, it protects you. When we started our marriage, we had two incomes. Then we had one income. And we had no income. And at the point we had no income, we had a toddler and one on the way. 
And we had to stay in that place for eight months. And we never missed a bill. We never got behind. We never didn't eat. And that didn't even include any type of government assistance because we didn't have any. What happened? We were surrounded by his protection. I can't even quantify to you how we survived those eight months. People ask, how? I, mean, I don't know. I'm not all the way sure. But what I can tell you is we didn't miss a bill. We didn't miss a meal. Our baby was delivered. We didn't go into bankruptcy. No, no shade to anybody who does. I'm just telling you our story. We were protected. There is a hazard protection that comes into action when you follow the principles of God. We weren't special. We were obedient. So sometimes it looks like prosperity. Sometimes it looks like provision. Sometimes it looks like protection. But you need them all. And you allow yourself access to them when you access the principle. The next verse says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. We weren't devoured because he rebuked the devourer. He will rebuke the devourer for you as well. And I want you to see, because I, I, I summarized it, but I want you to see Jesus talking about the tithe. Because I know we all love Jesus. We all believe in Jesus. We all trust Jesus. So this story is found in Matthew 23 and 23. Matthew 23 and 23. He's rebuking, tearing them up, tearing the Pharisees up, right upside their head. He's like, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice. Did you know that was in your Bible? Mercy and faith. What did I say next? Jesus said, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. The other things are more important. Justice. Yes, that's a biblical word. Mercy and faith are more important. Then the tithe. But you should tithe. Just don't forsake the others. Apostle Paul kept going. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, he's teaching the church at Corinth principle about how to handle their money. He says on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you earn. That's a percentage. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. He's teaching them the principle of consecrating a portion of your money. 
for the work of the kingdom. Why? Because the principle predated the law. It was there during the time of the law. It's here after the law. I'm going to give you a really, really recent example of the fact that the law is moving whether you opt in or not. The law operates for people inside the house of the Lord and outside the house of the Lord. All this week, the Internet has been a buzz because stand-up comedian Cat Williams did an interview. And people, it's, a two, it's longer than the color purple. The interview is longer than the color purple. It's like two and a half, it's a podcast. It's like, it's like two and a half hours. And people are really only focused on like 30 to 40 minutes of it where he was name dropping different things about other comedians, that uh, shady things that they've done. But if you were just focused on that, you missed the fact that this person who does not claim to be a Christian, he quoted the fact that he pays tithes. Now, he doesn't pay it the kingdom way. He doesn't bring it into the storehouse. But the principle he opted into, even though he's not a Christian, he says there is not one. He said during the interview, he said, I would be crazy to show up in a city, get $100,000 to do comedy. He says, before I leave the city, I pay my tithes. He said the words. I, he said it. He said, I pay my tithes. I will go find a homeless shelter or something and go give them $10,000. He said, quote, that's why I'm in the financial position that I'm in. How does a non-believer have more trust in the principle than believers? He said the word tithes. He said, it's the reason I'm in the financial position that I'm in. And he don't even go to church. But we still need more scripture to convince you. So why do I tithe? I tithe because tithing puts God first in my life. Giving the first 10% is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Recognizing God's lordship. Saying that he's lord out of your mouth is one thing. Acting like he's Lord of your life through these principles is another level. Deuteronomy 14 and 23 says, bring the tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks. Doing this. Here's the why. He told them what to do. Now here's the why. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord. The reason God has principles is to help exercise your obedience. The reason that he says bring in the tithe and he placed it inside of your income was to test your level of faith in him. He wants to know if you think that he could take your 90% and operate it at a more optimal level than you can the 100% of your strength. 
Some of us just keep the 100% because we really think we better managers than him. If I give you the 10, I'll only have 90, Lord. And he wants to know, do you trust him with the 90 more than you trust yourself with the 100? Because what comes first? The roots or the branches? And if the roots are holy, the branches are holy. It's hard. It's difficult. Can you come help me with this pie? Who likes pie? Y'all so, uh, y'all so offended, y'all can't even answer the question. I'm talking about pie, y'all just di di disoriented, about 10%. I'm a simple man. I like pie, but I like apple pie. That's the only pie I like. Y'all be doing all kind of crazy stuff. Y'all be throwing all this other stuff in pies. Let's just, let's just stick to apple pie. Now, because we fasted, I made sure we got a pie that I can't stand. This is pumpkin pie. I am not tempted at all by this here pie. I think it's disgusting. But this pie, can you hold it up for me? Can everybody give it up for Mr. Blessed Solomon? This pie represents your income. Okay, go ahead, put that down there. Put that down there. So what we do is when we get our income, we immediately go to bill paying. We say, oh, man, I got to get that rent. I got to get that. How many know rent is up? Mortgages are up. I say, well, we got to get that rent. Got to take that slice. Got to take that slice. Yeah, got to pay that rent. Got to pay that rent. And then, and then some of us got, got, got the good old car notes. Good old Carlos, because we got to look fly to these strangers on the street that don't even know us. And so we, we went and got a car note. We went and got that car note, because I got to look good at the stoplight. I got to look good at the stoplight. Oh, yes, Lord. Let me put a little bit more, because the, the interest done went up. The interest done went up. Okay. And then, and then, and then, you know, we, gotta, we got our kids, man. They in everything. They got, and everything that they in costs money. They got, they, got, they got sports. We got piano lessons. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they take our money. Them video games, monthly subscriptions. Yes, we got to take care of the little ones because my mama ain't give me nothing, so I'm going to give my kids everything that they want. Oh, yes. Now I got to pay the light bill. Oh, Lord Jesus. Turn off these lights. These kids don't know how to turn off the lights, man. I'm, Getting on my nerve. Oh, wait a minute. What about the water bill? The water bill. They be taking these extra long showers and still come out stinking. I don't know what's going on in there, but I got to pay this water bill. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And this is how we approach every month with our money, right? We start thinking about all the things that we got to pay for first. I don't know if y'all know that, but these gas prices is crazy, okay? I don't make no money from the church, but I be paying money for gas. I be losing money pastoring this church. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I gotta, I gotta pump it. You know what? I gotta, my, my truck is a V8, so I gotta, I gotta put a little more in there. I gotta, my, my gas is crazy. Crazy to live. Now, that, now, now, that's a good representation of gas. We gotta pay the gas because we gotta get to work, right? We gotta get the kids to where they gotta get to, and we gotta get to church sometimes. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, what about? Come on, wives. I want to hear you on this one. We got date night. Yes. Y'all don't be going on dates. Why y'all quiet? You should have got loud so your husband can get the, the drift. We got date nights. We got, we got to go see the color purple for two hours singing. They singing to each other on the color purple. Yes, date night. It's healthy, pastor. We're supposed to date our spouse. Yes. You know what we ain't did, Solomon? We ain't even ate yet. And groceries is high. I mean, you can't even go to Cobras without spending $20. Oh, yeah, we got to eat because man shall not live by bread alone. Yes, indeed, we got to eat. We got to eat. We got uh, 17 subscriptions. We got Hulu. We got Netflix. We got Amazon Prime. We got Paramount Plus. Because every last one of them got different shows. We got HBO Max. Oh, look at the subscriptions. This is, oh, stars. I'm sorry. We got to get stars as well. And, and then we, uh, and then we come to church. We experience the presence of God and praise and worship team be doing it. Miracle worker, way maker, light in the darkness. And then we'd be like, oh, this is what we do. This is what we do. When the offering time. Here you go, God. Here we go. This is, how, this is how much we appreciate you and we love you, Lord. The problem is that's not a tithe, that's a tip. We come to the church and we eat. And based on the service, we decide. Let me, let me throw a little tip in the bucket. Problem is, God ain't your little waiter where you get to decide what he's worth. He has a standard that he set. He's put a principle in motion, and you either in or you out. Research and analytics says there's three types of givers at the church. And looking at our analytics, they match up perfectly. They say 10 to 15% of the church consistently gives tithes and offering. And then the second group, depending on the church, those are the tippers. They throw fives and tens and twenties every now and then into the bucket. And then there are those who only tip every one to two months. This is why the Lord says, the poor you will have with you always. Because he knows there's only going to be a small amount of people who really believe, who really think that my wisdom is better when it comes to their finances. There's only one instance. We read it. There's only one time 
throughout all the pages of your Bible where the God of the universe challenges you to test him. And yet we still too scared. Mm -mm. Oh, Lord, I'm keeping this. This dime is mine. I'll give you whatever's left. Whatever I can afford, after I pay all my bills, then I'll give you a little tip. That's why he gave us the principle of tithing. Not a law. I'm not going to put you in hell. None of that. You're not, you're not cursed. No, no, no. It's a principle. It's there to teach you. It's there to train you. Tithing demonstrates that God, not our bills, are our first priority. And I can say this ten toes down because I lived it. We never stopped tithing. We never stopped giving offering. Things were well. When things weren't so good, we never stopped. And that's why our house is covered. Can I let you know something else? That's why this house, Purpose City Church, is covered. Our annual budget is turned in and improved by, approved by the Board of Trustees. And guess what? 10% of the budget is to give away. Because the church believes in the principle of the tithe. So no matter what y'all do, I know God's going to send people that believe the word of God and this principle to make sure we're good. Why? Because we're doing in our personal house, we're doing in the house that we lead what the Bible tells us to do, 10% first. We have to adjust every other category to make sure that that 10% was in place. But that 10%, oh, it's in place. So not only does tithing help me to put God first, tithing keeps me involved in the vision of the church. When you give, you become invested in the church's mission. Uh, over, the, over the pandemic, um, one of the most righteous companies on earth did a stock split. It's a company by the name of Apple. And because we believe in Apple so much, because my wife and I, we'll get to that later on in the series, we don't buy individual stocks. We, we, we do other things. But, 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 when Apple, come on, church, when Apple said that they were doing a stock split, that, and, and we go over that, uh, the, the te technicalities behind it, but essentially, when the stock splits, the price lowers for a temporary time, and over time, it comes back up. I said, oh, baby, we got to get some Apple. And so we did. We got some Apple stocks. We got our kids some Apple stocks, a lot of those Apple stocks. And you know what happened over time? 
I started really, 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 really paying attention to what Apple had going on. You know, they have convocation every year, right? Where we gather together as Apple believers and we see the new product releases. We call it the Apple Convocation. And I was paying attention to what the CEO was talking about and they explained everything. Why? Because I was invested. Before that, I didn't have Apple individual stocks. I had Apple stocks inside of some other products. But because my money was going directly to Apple, I started to pay attention to what Apple was doing. You know what that thing did? I said it went up in value. Glory to God. Y'all should uh, praise for your, your pastors. Apple stock went up in value. And I was focused because I was invested. We bought some other stock during that time, particularly Target. Target. And man, that thing took off. Because we, you know, we go to Target a lot. There's a Target close by, and, and we like all the little diff different things. So like, let's get some Target stock. We got some Target stock. And then that thing went down. And we started losing money. I'm like, man, what's wrong, Tarjay? I was paying attention to what's going on, and this was going on. Then they had these controversies that happened uh, because of different products that they had in their store, and the stock tank when we got up out that thing. And you know what happened when my money stopped going to Target? I stopped worrying about what they was doing. I wasn't bought in because I wasn't bought in. And we are the same exact way. If our money ain't at the church, we ain't really focused. We don't care about no little 21 days. Keep your little 21 days. What they got to do with me? We don't pay attention to what's going on. We ain't worried about it. Why? Because we are just there. We're not invested. We're not excited about what's going on because... I'm not all in like that. If I'm not invested, my attention and my focus is not there, if we're honest. When you decide that you're going to be invested, it goes from being that church, a church, to my church, to our church. Only the people that are actually invested in what's going on feel that sense of buy-in, feel like they have a part inside the vision. Because the toughest thing for you to let go of is your money. So not only does tithing keep me involved in the vision of the church, tithing gives me access to supernatural blessings. While blessings may not be financial, there is a special blessing that comes with the obedience from tithing. Why? Because you can't outgive God. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Oh, real quick, real quick, real quick. Um, did God give Jesus before or after you said yes? Come on, this is another layup. One more time. Did God give Jesus as a sacrifice, as an offering before or after you said yes to him? Before. And guess what? Jesus is his best. He gave you his best, he gave you his first fruits because you can't outgive God. 
You're so busy talking about what ifs. You got all these what if scenarios running through your mind, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what if. God said, test me. Try me in this. A great example of an enthusiastic giver is the same person who was an enthusiastic worshiper. Brother David, King David, in 1 Chronicles 29 and 3, he says, moreover, in addition to all that I have provided the holy house, he had already given. He says, I have a treasure of my own, gold and silver. And because, here it is, and because of my devotion. Are you devoted to your church? Are you devoted, more importantly, to the kingdom of God? Most importantly, are you devoted to God? Devoted. He says, because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give to the house. I give to the house. Why, David, do you give to the house because of my devotion to it? Some of us don't give because we are not devoted. It's a heart issue. Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because when I tithe, I move from a spectator to a participator in what God is doing through his church. A lot of y'all are spectating and sending emails with your spectations. And every time I get a disgruntled email, I look at their giving. And guess what I find? Zero. Spectators. Hasn't failed me yet. I can tell by the tone of your words that you're a spectator. I can't even take you serious because the Lord says where your treasure is, your heart, your heart is there also. It's not about math. It's about the heart. And if you want to become a participator, it requires another level of devotion to your house. This is our house, Purpose City Church. There's a picture coming up. This is our house. This is where the Lord assembled all of us. Isn't it beautiful? But when you put God over money, you're essentially saying that your decisions are going to be God-based before they are financially based. Here's an example. This beautiful building, can you go to the next slide, has a $3 million mortgage. I hope you can appreciate transparent leadership. So now, you have to understand something. <laughs> Me and Pastor Ty 
really good at math. We're really good at money. And so when we were sitting down and we were weighing the pros and the cons, it was like, ain't no way. Ain't no way. We're going to go and deal with this $3 million mortgage. No, Lord, no, 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 no. Do not want to deal. The math is terrible. Can I keep being transparent? Is that okay? Y'all not going to judge me? Okay. As we were going through these conversations about coming together to form this new church, everything was going pretty good until we started pulling out calculators. And our stress level rose. Because personally, we don't have any debt and haven't had any debt in a long time and don't plan on getting none anytime soon. Unless the Lord opens up a house for us to buy. We're going to have to do that. So when we were doing this math, it was super unexciting. I just want to tell y'all, just so y'all can, just so y'all can know. But God told us that we had to do this. So once God confirmed and then reconfirmed, because, I mean, we was like Gideon in this boy. Like, Lord, now I need another confirmation. One more, one more, Lord, one more. Now, now let's try this. Then we had to make some really tough decisions. After we dealt with God, Right? You still got to deal with the money. So God said, do it. So now we got to deal with the money. And now we're looking at the money. And we couldn't afford to keep everybody that was getting paid. Because the money wasn't there. And that was tough. It wasn't about personality. It wasn't about fit. Simply about the money. The money wasn't there. Can I keep going? The reason that we get paid nothing is because the money isn't there. But God told us to do it. Here's my point. Your pastors are leading by example. We're not asking you to do something that we haven't been doing the whole time. We have decided to put God above the money. And we have decided to be obedient to what God has 
instructed us to do. And it's only through obedience that the blessing comes. Everything that God has established for Purpose City to do will be done. I promise you. We're not, we're not, we're not up losing sleep. We're not, we're not fighting from, from stress over this because if God said go, you go. If God said go, that means he already has the provision in place. He's waiting on your obedience. You're so busy trying to clinch on to that 10%. He's like, baby, I'll blow your mind with this 90 if you give it to me. Because if the roots are holy, then the branches are holy. So we're going to be fine. Not because we're special, but because we are obedient. I'm trying to get you to understand that obedience is better than sacrifice. You're so worried and focused on how sacrificial it will be to give God 10% which is crazy when you think about it because you would have nothing had it not been for him. And his principle is that you return 10%, the first 10% back to him. And he says throughout his scripture, I done gave you like 17 verses. I'm tired of uh, giving y'all scriptures until you can get it in your spirit. That his principle is operating whether you decide to opt in or not. But as your pastor, I'm trying to get you positioned for what God has for you. We're going to talk about some more stuff over the course of this series, but I'm telling you that this is the foundation. And if your foundation is cracked, the house we build won't stand. I don't have to go Meet with donors, investors. I ain't got to go beg no bank for nothing. The answer is here. The answer is us. We have zero salaries. Listen, but we're the number one giver. Y'all not going to outgive us because we believe these principles too much. All we're asking you to do is to join us. All we're asking you to do is to do what the Bible says. Give God your first. Give God your best. Don't give God your leftovers. All I'm doing is telling you what he said. Test him in this. Test him. He told you to test him. So test him. So how do I start, Todd? This is it. We're closing. We're out of here. Worship team can come up. I'll tell you this. Challenge yourself to a 90-day tithing commitment. What's three months going to hurt you? I am giving you the opportunity to do what Malachi said, to test them. January, February, March. Give God your first 10, your best 
And if you experience nothing when April comes, stop. I'm ten toes down on this. I'm not scared. Oh, but what about the, no, 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 no. Test them. Say, God, you know what? Oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. The Bible said, okay, 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 okay. January, February, March, 90 days. Return your first 10% to that storehouse. Bring him the whole 10%. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, by chance, open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, when April 1st gets here, stop, we're good. But as your pastor, I'm going to challenge you to follow the scripture and test God in this. Now, some of you, listen, life circumstances are already in place, and maybe you're not in position to give 10. But don't be random. Remember, one of the doors is organization. So if you can't challenge yourself to 10%, challenge yourself to a certain percentage. Don't make it fluctuate. Say for the next 90 days, I'm giving 5%. I'm locking it in. I'm going to go on the new, the new giving platform. I'm going to make it recurring. And every time I get paid, that amount's going to come out. No questions asked. Challenge. I'm challenging you. I'm all I'm challenging you is to follow the scripture that said, test me in this. Make it automatic. Over these 90 days. Take the decision out of your hand. The, the new giving platform lets you make it automatic, right? You can go on there, follow the instructions and say, okay, this amount on the first 15 or, or on the first or whatever day you think, it's automatic. It's locked in. Test God in this. I can say it without fear because it's proven. All I'm trying to do is get you in position for this financial journey. I've already walked it. I've already helped hundreds of other people walk it. Why would I not challenge my own church to walk it? We are committed. Listen. This is why we're starting off January the way that we're starting January off. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Tough. Sacrificial. But it's the first month of the year. It's a tithe back to him. All tithes aren't money-based. But this tithe that we're challenging you to is. Why would we do a money series in January? Because we're trying to get you in position for the financial blessings that the Lord has for you. Not only are we doing this series, but one of the small groups that we have is financial based, meaning that you can go through all these uh, uh, messages throughout this series and then come next month when the small groups open, you can sign up for Rick's small group and he's going to teach you even more about personal finances. Why? Because we're committed to you, trying to position you. Listen, when the end of 2024 get here, you ain't going to be able to blame us because we have presented doors of Remember, opportunity. So you got all month. We talking about biblically, biblical-based financial stewardship. And then next month, the small group opens up, and you can continue the journey. So that means that you can have 
two and a half months of financial training that's Bible-based for free that you can apply to your life if you walk through the door of opportunity. You ain't going to be able to blame us. If you get to the end of the year and your finances are still in the mess, it's because you chose to. But we're doing the tough things up front because they are sacrificial. But if you submit to 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you submit to Bible-based personal finances, the scriptures are clear what the outcome will be for you. And if that's the outcome for you, it becomes the outcome for us as a church family, which allows us to go and impact Fox Valley, which allows us to go and impact the country, which allows us to go impact places overseas, all for the glory of God. Because guess what? That's really what this is all about. It ain't about a church trying to get money from you. It ain't about a pastor trying to get money from you. It's about a pastor and a church trying to get more of God to you. If you will only be obedient. Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.